Hello, and welcome back to the Brew Who podcast. Uh, we've been away for a few weeks here now. I was out of the country. Riley and Kyle have been off doing their own things as well. Uh, so I kind of jumped the gun there. This is Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com. And uh, Riley and Kyle, me, Kyle are joining me again tonight. Uh, how are you guys doing after this this extended break? Are your are your voices feeling a little more fresh, a little little replenished? Yes, and uh, I've got takes ready. I've got takes ready for this uh, mailbag. I've been waiting too long for it. Oh yeah, as I sit here, I'm glad I had the extended break, but now all my nerves are focusing on this upcoming wedding. So I don't know if I randomly just have to like run and vomit somewhere. That's why it's all. <laughs> It's so it's not it's it's not going to be the um, a discussion about uh, who's who ranks 14th and who ranks 13th on the Bucks roster. It's going to be the the wedding. That's why we know you're. I mean, that might be a side part of it, but okay. it, <laughs> I might come back and have to make a second trip for that. But well, I, I'm glad you guys have had so long for your for your takes to digest. Um, while I was in Spain, I had very little Bucks talk uh, going on. So I just had, you know, my own thoughts there while I listened to people talking Spanish to me. So uh, my takes have equally been uh, cooking over this time. And I, I think in what might, what might be a, a record for a new podcast, we are doing a mailbag uh, in episode five, a time honored tradition for podcasts. <laughs> We've clearly <laughs> already run out of content to talk about. Um, so we had to go to the fans and uh, the, the readers responded in full with some, with some excellent questions. So we're going to run through them tonight. Thank you everyone for submitting your questions. If we didn't get, if we can't get to it on tonight's episode, uh, I, I absolutely guarantee you we'll be doing another one of these. We still got like a month until real basketball comes around. So um, thanks again, everyone. But uh, we're just going to get this thing kicked off right away with a, a question from Zach Carson on Twitter. Uh, he asks more DJ Wilson appearances this year or Giannis made threes. And for context, Wilson made uh, appeared in 22 games last year and Giannis made 43 threes. So Riley, what, it, what about you? First, first prediction there. The only way DJ Wilson has more game appearances than Giannis threes, if we're counting Wisconsin hurt appearances alongside that number. Um, I just think it's uh, wholly unrealistic to expect that DJ is going to uh, figure a notable way for the rest of the season or for this upcoming season in terms of games played. Or maybe the team is like really blowing out teams on a night to night basis and DJ is just getting a ton of garbage time. But I think. I anticipate Giannis, even if the three still isn't like a main component to his offensive repertoire, I envision Bud probably focusing on that as a part of Giannis's game, even to try and prove that he's able to do it somewhat consistently. Consistently, He's shown it in the past, just, you know, hasn't uh, really relied upon it. But um, I think it would be really strange if Giannis doesn't even get to the 45 or 50 some made threes. And then if DJ has 50 appearances, then the season is probably in the tank. Anyhow, Kyle, what do you think? I really wanted to say DJ Wilson appearances because of what Riley said with most likely just being blocked. So he only shows up for two minutes, but I think with Bud's offense, it'll allow more open space. And I think Giannis will be more confident to shoot it since he won't have the ghost of Jason Kidd haunting him, telling him not to shoot. So I'll take the made threes. And I think Giannis will probably be closer to like 70 or 80, I want to say, which means DJ Wilson would have to appear in every, almost every game this season. And there's no way that's going to happen. Yeah. The only way I can see DJ Wilson potentially exceeding is, is if the Bucks have an absolutely spectacular year, uh, a warrior style year where they get into blowout, blowout game after game and Giannis is is basically not even playing the fourth quarter which uh, I think we all know is extremely unlikely unless we get some ridiculous blossoming under bud here but uh I mean Giannis's 43 threes last year were the second most in his career in a season uh the year before he had the most ever 49 then 28 and then uh oof, seven in his second season uh <laughs> that's uh, Jason Kidd high quality right there yeah that was like that's like the 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 meme of like uh kg whispering into thon's ear like saying don't shoot threes but Jesus, obviously um and 41 in his rookie season so i do like uh like I, if he was able to make 75 threes i'd be pretty ecstatic about that if uh dj wilson showed up in 75 games um i would feel probably pretty depressed um, because uh, it was pretty tough already watching him in summer league. So 
this seems like a pretty easy answer going Giannis made threes just by the uh, the fact of the matter that Bud's Bud's involvement should help spur those it, at the very least should help spur his attempts on and hopefully his shooting percentage goes up a little more with uh, with Bud's staff in tow as well. So um, thanks for that question, Zach. Uh, always appreciate it. So move on, move on to the next one here from uh, Josh Erickson, who asks, is the national media sleeping on how bad kid was and the improvement Bud is or is going to make uh, or am i too optimistic about this um uh, just for a little context i just wanted to throw some of these things in there uh just over and under over unders recently came out for the upcoming season um, and i was looking at them so it's 46 and a half for the bucks over under wins this season last year i kind of forgot about this but the over under that they were at was 47 and a half so there were actually relatively high expectations last year as well but um you know kyle what's like sort of your first impression uh, on this question and, and your response to it. I think the biggest thing I realized, and this was after Jason Kidd got fired, is there were a lot of people that were saying that it was a bad decision to fire him midway because the team was doing relatively well. And, I mean, you would hear, and a lot of those guys were former players, so like Kevin Garnett had said it. I think Shaq said it inside the NBA. Uh, Paul Pierce and Tracy McGrady would say it on the jump. So that, I think, shaped how a lot of the media thought Milwaukee would be. And I know there's a lot of people on NBA Twitter, you know, like the Zach Lowe's, you know, like guys like that where they know, okay, Jason Kidd was a really bad coach. But I think just for the general media, they looked at Jason Kidd as someone that was doing a decent job and now getting rid of him, thinking that the roster is bad. So I think a lot of people just assume that this Bucks roster is beyond garbage after Giannis and Middleton, which I don't think is true. But – I. I think that's the big contributing factor is there are people that still think that kid was the reason this team was so well, because the team isn't that talented when it's probably the opposite and that the team is still talented. It was Jason kid that was holding them back. And kind of to piggyback off of that, I think it's reasonable the way that people have been evaluating the team. Yes. They went out and they replaced kid with bud, which we all anticipate to be kind of a big step up in terms of the actual coaching schemes and what's actually run on the court. But when you look at what the bucks did overall through the off season, they didn't have that much in the way of change. Um, they didn't, I mean, you add Ursan, you add Brooke, those are both, you know, good signings. You can kind of question maybe the Ursan contract, for example, but in general, they were a little bit quiet in things that they ended up picking up or guys that they picked up uh, and things that they upgraded. So I think if people are skeptical about Bud, um, maybe not everybody is a Bud apologist as uh, all Bucks fans have turned into. I'm just joking. But as it's seemingly been, he's kind of like the uh, the light and darkness, as it were. So um, if other people aren't as high on him and maybe they're kind of having his last year with Atlanta color their expectations i can understand where people are coming from so um i'm not sure if they're sleeping on how bad kid was because i think by the time kid was let go a lot of the more um informed people understood the fact that it was a failed experiment but i can understand the skepticism might some people might have that but will be the cure-all elixir for the team yeah i agree i particularly if you read you know some stuff from atlanta people uh, it's, I kind of forgot about this, but they talked about how he was—he's relatively uh, adverse to some some media as well, which is obviously a trait that Jason Kidd seemed to show as well. Although Bud, at least initially, seems a lot more amenable to some of these interviews, and at least a lot more personable than Jason Kidd came off in a lot of his. Uh, and you know, hopefully, he won't um, force his players to decide who's the alpha uh, right away by raising their hands. Um, I, I kind of sorry, I feel like I keep I bring that up too much, but that's just was so, still just boggles my mind um, that he chose that as his leadership thing. But I I think um, I, I think it's interesting that the forty six and a half wins came in as the over under this season. I think that's instructive about how I don't know if people are necessarily sleeping on the Bucks, but I think it might be uh, like Riley said, a matter of people sort of cooling on their opinion of this roster, maybe people, someone kind of trying to reconcile with the fact that these aren't like those, the young bucks anymore that are like, you know, trying to come up and are going to make some sort of huge leap because people have been burned on that seemingly for the last three seasons. Uh, and even last year, I mean, people expected them to jump up to 47 and a half wins, presumably after like a tough, tough fought playoff series against the Raptors. And I, I mean, I would argue that they had a, you know, more well-fought, series against the Celtics last year, given what the Celtics were able to do throughout the the playoffs and that kind of stuff. And yet still they came in at a lower win total in terms of over under at Vegas this year. So 
I think, um, I think 40, I, I guess the thing about those over under totals that for me is I, I looked at that 47 and a half last year and I was pretty darn sure confident that they would go under. Uh, but the 46 and a half feels like a tougher um, bet for me. I would feel a little more confident, I think, going over because I trust that uh, some of the st- low hanging fruit that Bud can find within what was left over from Jason Kidd's uh, wrecked schemes and that kind of stuff will pay dividends almost immediately. But I, I still think it's probably the most instructive way to look at this is is, is looking at just what Vegas predicts that we were going to do this year versus last year. And part of like kind of thinking about how the team will work this upcoming year. And again, this is kind of bleeding over with Bud being the main acquisition is we don't know still yet what, how different or what sell at that they did last year. So we've heard time and time again about how Bud's defensive scheme was sort of similar. If you squinted your eyes uh, to kids scheme where it was, you know, kind of trap heavy and you'd a lot of open threes for the other, or a lot of three-point attempts for opposing teams. Um, so is that going to continue to be a problem that we have to deal with this coming year? And do they offset that by being a supercharged modern offense? And is that you know a trade-off that's going to boost them up to the 46 and a half and above kind of win range? So I think there's open questions about that as well that might not get answered for the first like month or two of the season as the team figures itself out. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think, I mean, and the main thing about, but is that, and I, the reason I say low hanging fruit is that, I mean, even if the Bucks got up to a relatively league average defense and then their offense moved up to maybe even just like five, because last year it was, it was, they, they've had a top 10 offense under Jason Kidd, even with his much maligned scheme. So I feel like even incremental improvement in that respect could still pay like a decent dividend in terms of net rating, in terms of everything that generally corresponds to wins. I mean, the Bucks were significantly better in the clutch last year than they were the year prior where they were pretty abhorrent. Uh, we'll see if, if some of that luck can hold on. Some of it fell a little bit apart in the, in the second half of the season, but they had a, you know, an, a very excellent net rating to start the year. Uh, so we'll have to see if that, if that kind of stuff will, will hold on this year. Um, uh, anything else, anything else you have to say, Kyle? Uh, I was going to say, like, I know a big factor with Milwaukee's defense last year being so poor is they would have just runs where a team can go on a 10-0 run or a 12-2 run and even when the Bucks had like a double digit lead a team can easily play their way back into the game just by hitting a couple threes so it'll be interesting to see if Bud's defense will try and limit those runs as much as possible because I think I mean I'm thinking of like the New Orleans game back in like February which they had a double digit lead and threw that out the window. So, you know, if they just avoid losses like that, that's a win that they could have had. So I think it's just going to be something like that is limiting the run so that they either don't blow a double-digit lead or dig themselves in a hole so deep that they can't get out of. Yeah, and part of that might be the fact, if if we'll have to see what Bud's offense looks like, but, I mean, part of those runs were spurred by the fact that Obviously, Jason Kidd's defense were allowing incredibly high percentage shots both at the rim and beyond the arc, which means that people can score points in a hurry and 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 rack them up. And Bud's offense, Bud's defense would also allow typically allow shots beyond the arc. But he seemed like a far more adaptable coach. I know Zach Lowe has alluded to the fact that he he ramped down the switching a little bit last year on his defense. Uh, he obviously learned in in San Antonio where Popovich was a huge guy in terms of adapting his offense. I mean, this was a guy who had the most three heavy offense in the league, and now he's turned it entirely into like a, a weird mid range factory. So, uh, I think I think the nice thing about Bud is that he seems like a, a guy who's a lot more adaptable to different schemes, whereas Jason Kidd seemed like someone who was sticking to his obviously sticking to his guns. He seems like a guy who believed that he knew what was going to work and he thought his experiment would work. And it, he was, wasn't really willing to uh, deter from it at all. I mean, even like last year, we saw those periods where the bucks instituted seemed to institute uh, switching a lot more. And then all of a sudden they seemed to go away from it. It was, it was, it was incredibly bizarre that he seemed to want to go back to the scheme that he believed in, even though they had, they were doing something that was working at the time. The secret was those times when they actually played a competent defense. Jason was asleep on the bench, so that's, <laughs> the, I think that's a that's an open secret. I think that's some next level next level observation by next Riley level there. coaching. Yeah, next level yeah. coaching by kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that. It also 
ex- excellent, excellent point. Uh, that's enough kid talk for me, I guess, for for one night. Um, one more quick hitter from Josh Erickson as well. Uh, not to get too deep into the offseason, but what exactly is stopping the Bucks from cutting Wilson to sign Wood? I'll let you guys comment on this too. But I, I mean, the main reason is that DJ Wilson is under control by the Bucks for the next couple of years. They have him under a guaranteed contract for this upcoming season, which is a decent amount of money that the Bucks would have to eat if they really wanted to get rid of him. They also, if he ever turned into something, they could have him under a really team friendly contracts for the next couple of years. So if you just look at his, his contract for next year, it's uh, about 2.5 million. And then there are team options on uh, the next year for 2.9 million. And then it ramps up to around uh, 4.5 million. So if he wound up being any type of player and he was drafted in the first round, so he at least has some sort of pedigree, even if he hasn't shown any of the ability that one would expect from a first round pick, uh, you know, if he shows any sort of tantalizing ability or any ability to play under Bud, uh, then the Bucks would have him under a really cheap contract for the next couple of years. Whereas Christian Wood, we would only have him for this upcoming season. It's a non-guaranteed contract. And, uh, you know, if he really, really excelled, he'd probably he'd be looking for his payday because this is a guy who's been knocking around in the G League, just trying to find his way to the big leagues uh, and is surely trying to get at least one big payday before he's he's not able to make it in the league anymore. And, you know, you have to kind of you have to at least bank on the fact that maybe Bud can unlock some sort of potential in DJ Wilson, even if it's super minimal. So I think it would, um, you know, I think there's a lot of factors that go into the bucks still keeping DJ Wilson at this point over just getting wood and, and, and bringing him into the team and into the fold right away. Also the fact that the bucks have had DJ Wilson under their control all off season. They've had him with, with buds coaches and everything. Christian Wood was a guy who just came in for summer league and then it's been working out recently. And since we, you know, sources say that we were able to sign them to him to a training camp contract. So, Realistically, yes, he'd be with the team then, but DJ Wilson has just, uh, the organization has invested a lot more in, um, and at, at this point, you know, people could say it's, well, it's basically a sunk cost with DJ Wilson at this point, but I, I, I don't know. I, I, he clearly to me, I'm not a big fan of him. I don't know if he's really going to turn into any, into anything, but there's just, uh, there's still some, a lot of contract positioning like uh i think there's a lot of stuff going on with the front office where they selected him first and there's some contract stuff there where they'd have the potential to keep him for the next couple of years under a really team-friendly deal so uh, i think there's i think there's a couple different factors that go into that i would say in addition to that um just the general construction of the roster i mean you can debate whether or not uh tyler zell's Tyler Zeller will still be around, but we already have four centers on the roster, depending on how the training camp works out. And in terms of like point or power forwards or just forwards in general, we have like DJ, Ursan, Giannis, and then maybe a couple of guys that in a pinch you can kind of move them up if you needed to. But you know, if, if somebody goes down and you need spot minutes, I mean the season's probably uh not in a good place in the first place, but in theory, he would be able to fit in a little bit better than having a, another, you know, maybe your fourth center on the roster. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the biggest thing is just DJ Wilson is a first-round pick. So as much as he has not shown anything in one year, it would look worse for Milwaukee to try and dump him. Plus, at this rate, he probably falls into the Henson and Delhi situation where if you want to get rid of him, you'd have to give up some other asset, which Milwaukee doesn't really have much of. So I think that I think it's just the fact that you can't really just get rid of him without sacrificing an asset to do it. Always assume that the sunk cost fallacy is at play with these guys. Uh, yep. Yep. So I, I was, I was tantalized by Christian Wood as well. We'll see what he does in the preseason, but I don't know at the, I think at the end of the day, we still, there's still a lot of track record of Christian Wood, not even being able to really make it onto other rosters either. Maybe he put it together in this off season, but um, you know, I, we'll have to see. Um, I mean, if Christian Wood is good enough, he'll make the roster. It, whether he takes Zeller's spot or someone, if he's good enough, he'll make the team some way. I guess that's what I how I view it. Yeah, I mean, I think there's enough uh, big men potential chaff that he could make it. I mean, at least in the form of Zeller. So, I think I think you're right, Kyle, that there is a chance if he's going to make it, he's just got to he'd have to really show out um, to be able to to snag that last spot. Uh, all right, let's move on to the next question. This is from R nine eight three loyal brew hoop commenter. Uh, which buck is the second most valuable, including contracts? Uh, who is the third, fourth, and fifth? 
and so on. So I think we'll uh, we'll just go to the third, fourth, fifth, and if we want to move on, we, we can go a little bit further. But we're obviously all assuming that Giannis is the most valuable book, of course. But I'll go through some of the different candidates and um, their their contract scenarios, and then we can we can kind of get into it a little more. So there's Eric Bledsoe, who has uh, owed he's owed 15 million this next year, and then he would be a uh, free agent following that. Chris Middleton is owed 13 million this year. He has a player option for next year for 13 million. Obviously, we all believe that he's probably going to turn that down, and he'll be owed a new deal. There is. Uh, Tony Snell, he's owed 10.6 million this next year, 11.4 million the year after, and then he has a player option on the year after that for 12.2 million. Uh, there's Thon Maker, owed 2.8 million this year, uh, and then a team option for 3.6 million the year after that, and then he would be a restricted free agent the next season. Uh, there's Malcolm Brogdon owed 1.5 million this year, non-guaranteed, and then he'll be a, a free agent next year. There's Sterling Brown owed 1.3 million this year, and then uh, a non-guaranteed 1.6 million the year after that. Um, and then uh, I guess a couple other potential dark horses. I mean, there's if you think this is the guy, there's Dante Divincenzo, 2.4 million this year. He's on a rookie skull contract, 2.9 million the year after that, and then team options on the third and fourth year for 3 million, 4.6 million. Uh, Brooke Lopez owed 3.38 million this year. Uh, Ursan Eliasova owed seven million over the next this year, and then seven million next year, and then a non-guaranteed seven million the year after that. Uh, anyone else you guys think I'm leaving out who might make the top five? Any- However much we're spending on Larry Sanders right now. <laughs> I-, I was thinking. About sorry, that. I'm sorry. <laughs> What'd you say, Kyle? Uh, Spencer Hawes is great. Two millions. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, Spencer Hawes, he is hanging on there for dear life. Any Connaughton stands out there? Any people think Connaughton could crack that top five? Because he is, he is. I mean, he's on a very small contract, and if he maybe has some sort of resurgence or like a really strong showing under Bud, he could be like a pretty, he could be a valuable asset. I don't know. He he tweeted out his him signing the contract with a Portland T-shirt, slapping <laughs> my face. So he automatically gets demoted out of the top five for that. So I think it's important first for us to think about when we say like when we say valuable, are we are we thinking them of them in terms of assets, both like in terms of their play on the court, how much we could get for for trading them? How do you how do you guys think we should define value? I think it's a good question because this comes down to the philosophical discussion of what do you value most in a player or how are you evaluating the pieces that a team has? I think obviously you would say that the most pressing matter is the contribution on the court because you know it, it, all other theory or all other possibilities aside this is like your team you're going to have to have these guys on you know at their value and maybe there's a trade down line but that's all kind of in theory so i would say probably on court contributions takes number 1 and then you can kind of mix in you know trade assets slash how long do you have control etc cetera, etc cetera. but i would say for me personally it's on court contributions uh, takes a big chunk of the evaluation i'd say for i'm going to look at it in terms of who brings the most value for the 1819 season i'm going to try and just focus on this particular Season. I don't know if that's really what the question was asking, so I apologize, R983, if that is wrong. But I'm going to look at it through who's going to contribute, kind of like what Riley was saying, who's going to provide the most contributions on the court relative to their contract for the 18-19 season. That's how I'm going to approach it. Okay. I think I think that's a smart way to look at it, particularly because some of the candidates who are really high are on very short deals right now. Um, who, I th- who I think will go higher on short deals. And I also think it's important, like Riley said, to say that I think this Bucks team is uh, right now seems to sort of clearly be steering into the idea that Bud is the new coach. He's going to take us to new, new levels. And they also are, are sort of over a bail- barrel in terms of showing that this team is, can has the pieces to potentially be a contender with Giannis Antetokounmpo in tow. And they want to convince him that he should stick around for a lot longer and sign that Supermax when it comes to time. So if that also, I think Encore play feeds into the things that Riley said as the second criteria, which is trade asset. And that's something else that I think is one of the reasons I was most, most excited about, Bud is that if he's able to resuscitate the value of some of these people, I mean, you've already seen him get people at least paid in like Kent Bazemore and Kyle Korver and 
Damari Carroll and all these other people. But those people, uh, if they, if they were able to get paid, they could also that also means teams are coveting them for some sort of value. So I think encore performance is probably the best way to look at it and and presume, and we can sort of trickle in our conversation into some of those second aspects that Riley was talking about. So let's just open up. Who do you guys? Well, we got Giannis at number one. Who do you guys think is number two? I would say for me, and this is, I know it's super original to say Chris Middleton, but I would argue that Chris uh, on his current deal. And yes, is this the uh, possibility that or not possibility? I'm pretty sure unless something completely catastrophic happens this year, he's going to opt out of his player option next year and hit the uh, free market or free agent market. But I would say he's such a critical component, um, both fitting alongside Giannis as the, sort of on ball, sort of off ball option on offense. You can kind of do a whole bunch of different things, which is a credit to the kind of player that he is, but his really, not only is he contributing a lot on, on the court, and I think we can assume that under bud system, that's going to focus more on threes. And it's kind of a system that yes, we've seen Chris thrive when he has to go ISO. Obviously I think we can all agree. That's not his most ideal type of offensive set, but um, in a system where it's flowing He's doing a lot more catch and shoot threes, hopefully cross our fingers. And given that his contract is only for 13 million, that's a lot of positive value tied up in one guy. And, you know, maybe that, that kind of also bleeds into maybe this guy is a trade chip for you at the, uh, at the trade deadline. If, you know, you're afraid of how much he's going to get paid, because I think it's, you know, fair to assume that he's probably going to get close to near max money with everything that's going in his favor right now. So it's kind of two ways a little bit, but I would say at least for this year and the possibility that you could sell high on him and get maybe a haul back for how little he's getting paid relative to his contributions. I would argue Chris is probably number two. Do you think any differently, Kyle? I actually had Brogdon at number two. Um, And the biggest reason was, I mean, Belka Brogdon only gets paid like what 1.5 million this year, mm-hmm. which for what he brings to the court is so it's just higher than it's just what he's able to do with only 1.5 million. I mean, that's more like almost like a minimum contract. And I mean, if we had picked up, you know, Jason Terry and he plays and I mean, we were saying he was playing really well and able to play with Giannis and he was only 2 million and Brogdon is at 1.5. Um, I also think that if anything were to happen to Eric Bledsoe, we kind of saw what happened when Bledsoe is the only point guard on the roster with Delhi and Brogdon out. We had to rely on pretty much Brandon Jennings and the rare appearance, appearance of Xavier Munford. So I just think in terms of the importance that Brogdon has, I mean, he can play the two guard. He can still run the offense. He he can He's so versatile, and he what he's able to bring. I mean, I think he's the Bucks' fourth best player, and to have that at only one point five million, I think that's why I put him at second. Nothing against Chris Middleton. I just think that for how much you pay Malcolm Brogdon, and he's able to fill in that backcourt role, he would be my number two. It, I think you bring up an interesting point about the the point guard depth. So I, this is something I'm, I'm going to be very curious about. So obviously the Bucks were. When they did, when Eric Bledsoe was off the court and they were missing Delhi and Brogdon, they were clearly were left with with the dregs of of the NBA point guards. But I don't know. I'm I'm so interested to see how Bud handles that because I feel like he gave his point guards quite a bit of of leeway in Atlanta, in Jeff Teague and Dennis Schroeder. Obviously, I think he gave them a, a a lot of ability to run the offense on their own, but. And as, as good as Al Horford was in terms of like being a, a pivot passer and, and helping the offense flow, same with Paul Millsap and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if he's had like two wings like Chris Middleton and Giannis Antetokounmpo who can really create offense on their own. So I'm curious if he almost was like slightly, his offense was almost slightly hamstrung by the fact that he handed over so much power to his point guards. And I'm curious if like, there was a the ability to get rid of like say Eric Bledsoe or like we wouldn't have to rely on Malcolm Brogdon as much as a a like his point guard creator and like granted he still has a lot of skills to learn in that aspect but I'm curious if the fact that um, and we saw Chris Middleton sort of be like point 
Chris a couple years ago too for the second for a big part of the big chunk of the season too, and he had relative success. So I'm curious if the fact that Giannis and Chris are both able to sort of create off create offense on their own, and that's part of the reason I would probably agree with Riley and putting Chris at number two, that the idea these uh the idea of these point guards like Brogdon or Bledsoe and their value might be depreciated in that respect. And I would kind of go against Brogdon again. I, I, I would agree. I would put him near the top, uh, just similar reasons for Kyle. But what might be the difference maker, even though there's a huge gulf between how much each guy is making between Malcolm and Chris, is the fact that they're both in their own ways kind of uh, like finished products. And I think you could argue that the finished product that Chris is is a lot more valuable um, than the finished product that Malcolm is. Because Malcolm is kind of good at like, a little bit of everything, but I'm not sure if you could say that he excels at one thing or another. Um, whereas it, it's difficult because like, obviously Chris gets a lot more usage, but he's proven year after year after year that he's a reliable offensive threat on, you know, pretty much anywhere on the court and in any sort of situation. Whereas, you know, Malcolm, he had, he has a couple of big shots every once in a while, but, and he's capable running the point, et cetera, et cetera. But at age, what is he? Is he 25? Malcolm is? Look. Yeah, he's 25 now. His This is his 20, year 25 season. I'd say it, the one thing that would be going for him is that he's a second-round pick and he's still on his rookie deal, but because he's as old as he is, I think that kind of dings his um, value overall, I would say. Well, Kyle, do you think that there's like a decent amount of root? I mean, we've talked a lot about how the the hope that we have for players to make internal improvement under Bud. Do you think there's a lot more room for growth for Malcolm Brogdon with the under Bud's tutelage? I I think so, just because I feel like Chris Middleton, I don't know how much more he's going to grow under Bud's tutelage. I think Bud will utilize him better, but in terms of just overall skill set and mm-hmm. that aspect, I don't think so. I think with Brogdon, we don't really know we don't like kind of like what Riley said, he's kind of good at everything, but he's not great. And maybe that's just his natural ability. But if he had a coach that knew could find a way to like unlock it, even if he is at the age of like 24, 25, I still think that Brogdon has a higher chance of getting more. I think, but has more has a higher chance of getting more out of Brogdon than he would out of Middleton, just because Middleton, I think is already that talented that there really isn't more to unlock. It's just utilizing it better. That's an interesting way to look at it. Cause I think about, I try to think about skill development for Chris Middleton. And I think you're right. I can't really see him learning any sort of actual new skills under, Bud. it's just more of a matter of, Bud finding ways to place him within the offense, finding ways to maximize the skills that he already has where Malcolm Brogdon. I mean, I, I, we haven't seen rapid skill development, but there were definitely traces of him showing an ability to, pull up last year. I mean, he showed some starting to start the season when he was kind of in that, that starting point guard role, he showed some ability to flash some pull up threes from beyond the arc. Uh, he seemed his, is finishing at, at the rim improved um, relatively well. So I, I think that's an interesting way to look at it in terms of skill development that Brogdon might still have versus um, practical application on the court. Sorry. I'm just looking at what Malcolm Brogdon finishing was at the rim. And the evaluating these two guys, and obviously, well, you look at would say um, in terms of evaluating these two guys would be the contracts they're on, and then the possible contracts that they'll be on, whatever their next contracts are. And like I was saying before, I think there's a real reasonable shot that Chris, maybe he doesn't get all the way to a full max, but he's going to make a lot of money on his next deal. And for a relatively cash-strapped team like the Bucks, that's not the most ideal situation. Whereas Malcolm. Um, He'll be entering the 2019, or which I have to go back through and look at the cap, but he'll be entering a market where there'll be a bit of money, but because he'll be a restricted free agent, he, we've seen, you know, in years past that restricted free agents aren't flying off the shelves. And if you're able to play hardball and wait around long enough, you're able to get them on relatively good deals. So that might be something as well that pushes in Malcolm's favor over Chris, depending on uh, if you think Malcolm you know, if I don't think there's, it's realistic to expect Chris to ever try and match up for value for whatever his next contract is. So that would be a ding against him as well. Yeah, I think the it, it's going to be so fascinating to see what Chris Middleton's contract is next year, particularly when it's a summer where it seems like there's a lot of money floating around. 
uh, it's going to be it's going to be really interesting. I think that'll make a go a long way towards determining what his value will be, especially if he has a sort of breakout year under Bud, as he's he seemed to sort of I in my opinion been the winner of this summer. Whether it was getting a, a dinner at the table with the Don uh, at their when the when they were meeting with the coaches or. Uh, I don't know. It just feels like he's been in the, he's feel like in, or getting going to USA basketball. It feels like he's been in the media a lot this summer. Uh, there's also excellent, excellent feature by Eric name on bucks.com. If anyone else, uh, if anyone missed that, ep- absolutely check that out. But um feels like there's been a lot of, a lot of press around Chris this summer. So it'll be, cu- it'll be curious to see how he leverages that into, into the season too. Yeah. And there's like the USA basketball invite, which is, that's like what, like 30, 35 of like the top players in the country. So that's verified there. And then I think it's also reasonable to expect maybe he might be able to put together an all-star campaign that kind of, we kind of already feel it a little bit in the air that that might be something coming up this year as well. So this is going to be a lot going in his favor heading into free agency next year. So would you have Kyle, um, Kyle, who would you have at number three then? Would you have Middleton at number three? Yeah, I had Middleton at number three. Okay, Riley, would you have would you have Brogdon at number three? I, this is it's this is where I'm a little torn. Um, I would say probably Brogdon, and the, it's kind of going through elimination of other guys who might be in contention. So there's Eric Bledsoe. Um, a lot of people have discussed the fact that he was really great for us in the regular season last year. You can kind of look at the stats. I'm assuming that's going to be the same this upcoming year. I'm not sure if I want to be the team that has to pay him his next slash final big contract. Um, so that kind of is not great for his value. And at 15 million, you might be able to find another team that'll take him off your hands if they really like him, but I'm not sure if he's that great of a trade ship either. And who else do we have here? Thon, maybe, uh, that's kind of depending on other teams thinking Thon is anything, and I'm not sure if other thing other teams think that. The only other player that I really had kind of contemplated was Sterling Brown, and that's again that's a what do you think Sterling will end up being long term? He's another guy. He's a second round pick. Uh, he's under control for this season and next season before he hits the free agent market in 2020. He show, showed last year, and he's. He, it's kind of surprising. I, I didn't know there were so many people that are as much of a mixed bag on his rookie year, but I thought he had an excellent rookie year for what you could have expected. So I think he'll have a big year this upcoming year. And it, that's the only reason why I would maybe argue him being number three is you have him under control for longer. Um, in theory, maybe everybody kind of uses up all their cap space in the 2019 free agent market. And then if he hits the free agency in 2020, you can get him on a reasonable deal with the team that's going to need as much, you know, in the way of flexibility as possible. So I would say Malcolm, but Sterling would be a strong four for me. I would say a roster right now. I, I am. Okay. Wait, so who, who'd you have at number three? Malcolm? Okay. So I, I did Malcolm with Sterling as a, a strong number four. Okay which is kind of depressing when you think about it, but you know, hmm. it's, okay. it, it is reality as it is. Okay. Hmm. And uh, a, again, I think, I think a lot of it kind of comes down to what do you think Sterling will become or how will he fit within Bud's system? Because obviously Malcolm has everything going. He's an established player. You know, he run rookie of the year, haha, whether or not you actually think that's a legit award for just success. He can, you know, do a little bit on ball, do a little bit off ball, et cetera, et cetera. But Sterling also has shown a propensity for if he's placed in the right situation, he can excel at, you know, whether it be scoring. He's obviously a tenacious defender. He's a little bit younger than Malcolm, et cetera, et cetera. And he also, you know, of guard rotation slash uh, sort of wings, if you want. So I think it's a lot to like from Sterling. That's just me maybe overvaluing him personally, but I, I like Sterling a lot. So who do you, who do you think has more uh, upside? It does not go a lot like upside over the next three years, uh, Eric Bledsoe or Sterling Brown. I'd say Sterling Brown. What about you, Riley? Oh God. Uh Yeah, I didn't expect Eric. He's nine. I want to say, and Sterling is obviously a lot younger than his game. While it relies, Riley, sorry, you went like robot voice. Can you say that again? 
something something Eric Bledsoe something something Sterling Brown. No, I was just kind of <laughs> sorry. Sorry, the internet kind of slowed down on me there. Um, no, I would just say maybe Eric Bledsoe. I don't know. That's so hard because of the contract situation. Because Eric's there's going to be some team that do you pays think, a lot of do money. Do you think there's going to be a team? I mean, he didn't like one. He seems to like ha- be an incredibly disgruntled man in, in, in a lot of in many aspects and seems to not be a great teammate on the court D- to even the year that he was a free agent. He was basically left until the end of the summer and seemed to have to take a, a crappy deal with the Suns, Right. So, and that was when he yeah, was like in his prime. Right so, so I don't know. I don't know if he's going to make a lot of money next summer. I think the only thing is like the one thing, Bledsoe has going for him is he's very athletic. Like he's quick. He can, he's a pretty strong dude. He's quick. Like he relies a lot on his athleticism and I don't know how that's going to age while with Sterling Brown. I mean, he, he's got a big body now so he can handle the physicality, but he's looked as more as a three and D guy. So if he can hit three pointers at like a 35% clip or higher then I think, he'll find a way to have a better role and be more valuable than Bledsoe, who he might be an okay point guard. And I mean, you can see a team like, I don't know, like the Kings or, you know, some team that is going to tank or not really look towards, you know, trying to be a contender soon. And we'll just take Bledsoe's contract for like one or two years and let him, you know, ride the tank train to whatever. But that's, I guess that's how yeah, I think it, it is. I think Brown will be able to f- have a more valuable role while Bledsoe's role is going to just be more like, okay, here you go, run an offense and whatever. Yeah, and Adam, I, I like you bringing up the facts, some doubts about whether or not Eric will actually get paid next year. I mean, obviously he'll make, you know, some amount of money because <laughs> athletic point guard with whatever reputation, et cetera, et cetera. However much space the Lakers have, maybe they'll bring him in for uh, to finally reunite him and LeBron, but yeah. I do find it interesting that I guess I've kind of just always assumed that Eric would make, you know, a maybe not a ton of money, but you know, a significant amount of change. And maybe that doesn't end up being the case, especially maybe he's one of those guys that goes really early. But as you said in the past, when he was a free agent, he wasn't exactly a hot commodity and he wasn't a hot commodity when he was actively trying to get out of Phoenix this last year. So yeah. I would say Well, the only other thing that he's more of a complete player that contributes in the immediate and, you know, whether or not Sterling ever reaches that level, that's an open question. And that would be the only thing is that he's kind of Eric is expected returns, whereas Sterling is kind of you don't know what to expect, really. Yeah, I guess guess the the thing for me is it seems like Eric Bledsoe. Besides, I forget what he got. I mean, weirdly, his entire career, he's basically uh gotten back less not as much value as one would expect so like his initial trade to phoenix right was i i forget what the trade was but it was it seemed like a boon for phoenix obviously because he turned into a decent player uh, and they didn't have to give up too much to la but then i mean he wound up not getting as much money in phoenix as he wanted it took until basically the end of that summer to get that contract done and then even in the trade to milwaukee i mean phoenix was over a barrel but he didn't net a huge return for them and then i'm looking at the so i'm just looking at the point guards who are supposed to be up for free agency next year and look just on hoops hype. Number one is Kyrie Irving two Kemba Walker. These are just their rankings, but three Terry Rozier four Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. I don't know about that one, but five. Yeah, that's a, whoa. Yeah. Okay, hold on. I have to call this whole uh, list into question. Hold on. Okay. Uh, hold on. Uh, five D'Angelo Russell. Um, six Eric Bledsoe. Seven. Goran Dragic, eight, Ricky Rubio, nine, Darren Collison, 10, Malcolm Brogdon, then Spencer Dinwiddie, Jeff Teague, Pat Beverly, then Rajon Rondo. So I don't know, man. Like, uh, he's like, he, of all the guys who's going to want to get a lot of money, it's like Goran Dragic will probably be back with the Heat or whatever, but he'll want to get a decent amount of money, right? And I think a team would covet Goran Dragic more than Eric Bledsoe. Maybe. I don't know. I feel I feel like Eric Bledsoe has like just not done well for himself in terms of making teams want him. I guess out of that whole list, the only ones I would want to pay money to is Kyrie Rozier and I feel like those are the only two I'd feel better about giving money to. And then like 
D'Angelo Russell, I would be okay if it was like if it was a middle, like even six, seven million, I'd be okay with D'Angelo Russell. Like those are the only ones that I feel confident giving money to. So I guess I, first, I, I knew Goran Dragic was old, so he's 32. So I could see him either taking some sort of mafioso offer from Pat Riley where he gets money when he retires or whatever, or some other team offers him a, a lot of money. He also has a player option next year, which I'm not sure how much that is for. But I don't know. I feel like some of those guys could get big, get big, big paydays. Uh, and then some people, I mean, I could see teams going for like decent paydays for Ricky Rubio or Collison or even a team like wanting to, or Jeff Teague or Pat Beverly. Like I could see teams offering like decent amounts of money to these guys on like short-term deals. And Eric Bledsoe's trying to get one last big payday before he's old. And then he's left, you know, still standing after <laughs> the game. He's going yeah, I guess I was going to say, cause like Teague and Collison, like those guys are pretty close. If they're not thirty, they're like upper twenties, right? Yeah, I'll see how old they are. Yeah, I think Collison's has got to be like 30, 31. So Teague is thirty. Darren Collison is also thirty. Yeah, uh, actually, he's about to be thirty-one in one day. So happy two days. Happy early birthday. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. I guess I just I I, I guess I'm just not totally sure if if Eric Bledsoe is going to make that much money. Um, I'm. Also, would personally put him third on the most valuable. Uh, oh my god! What I, just, I think he's I think he's the third most valuable. I think he. I, I mean, if you look at any sort of advanced stats last year, like any lineup with him was was really good. His net rating was um, four point seven, which was really good in like twenty two. 2200 minutes on the team and yeah i mean granted he's playing a lot of that with the starters and the starters had a really good lineup but and they were also like relatively good as well when when malcolm brogdon was with them but i still feel like eric bledsoe i think some team might potentially want him in a trade and if the bucks were able to trade him as opposed to pay him a lot of money i would like that and i think he has the most uh, potential to for another team to potentially covet him and get a net a decent return. Uh, I think he also just anecdotally, I thought the team was a lot better and the, the stats back it up too. They were a lot better in the clutch last year. And I thought anecdotally, they looked a lot better with a competent point guard out there as opposed to like Matthew Delavadova. The team improved immeasurably the year before last when Malcolm Brockton was out there in the clutch as a as opposed to Matthew Delavadova. And I think Eric Bledsoe was a, a, a good clutch player. Yeah. Like he, you know, he definitely took possessions away from Giannis, which isn't always great. Uh, obviously because Giannis isn't, was incredibly efficient all the time. Um, but I still think at times there's like good to have someone with that sort of mentality who still wants to score. And I still feel like he scored at a relatively efficient rate, even if some of his, uh, ridiculous, pull-ups from mid-range and that kind of stuff are are just asinine and, and drive me up a wall but i still feel like he has he's still the third most valuable player on this roster but but he had that really bad series against the celtics um <laughs> i hate that argument so much oh my god it tries that that drives me up I'm like, okay come on and chris anyway um no i i i can see where you're coming from adam i mean he's by far, like mile miles away, the best point guard be point guard option on the roster. Sorry, Delhi stands. Just face the truth. Um, so I, I feel like I'm sound. I feel like I'm sounding like um, a player on the jump, being like Eric Bledsoe. Obviously, he's number three on the team, right? Marquee three. He got the most talent. But I just, I, I genuinely think that like a lot of stats. I think a lot of the advanced stats back it up. I mean, his net rating. Uh, what did I say? His net rating was. Four point it was four point seven last year with him on the court. Um, with him off the court, the team was negative four and a half. Uh, I mean, the team was negative five and a half with Giannis off the court. Um, I I don't know. I think that Eric Bledsoe had a, a a positive impact on this team. I think it kind of gets overlooked because I think he short circuited what limited offensive flow there could be under Jason Kidd. 
and he freelanced a lot. And I think he took lots of possessions off. And I think that his defensive potential is nowhere near his defensive, uh, a bit like defensive output last year was nowhere near where his potential should be because I thought really early on, he showed like an incredible ability in some of those first couple of games to get around screens, like body guys up. I mean, he could absolutely shut someone down. I thought he was going to be the most important player in the Celtics series and he just absolutely bombed it. Uh, but I thought that was where the Bucks had the hugest uh, talent advantage and it clearly, clearly not with Terry Rozier showing up. But I still feel like Eric Bledsoe, at least as of right now and for next year, is the, I, in my opinion, the third most valuable because I like Malcolm Brogdon. I think he's good. Obviously, it's great to get all of his contributions at such a cheap price. Uh, but I also... I I don't know. I think he's he's still a little limited, and and beyond that, I think it gets really iffy. Uh, you know, whether you're talking about Tony Snell, or uh, you know Sterling, Sterling Brown would be great. I, I'm really curious to see what he does under Bud. I think he has a lot of potential, but he's also still like a second round pick. And I think right now, Eric Bledsoe is for me is the third most valuable. I, uh, and and oh, sorry, go Kyle. I was gonna say I had Bledsoe at fifth. I had Brooke Lopez at four. Oh really? Whoa! 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 This is a fun exercise. Okay. <laughs> I just I feel like what Lopez is going to bring to the team is going to be something that Milwaukee hasn't had in I don't even remember the last time they've had a center this probably since pre Bogut injury. Because I mean, you look at the centers they've had; it's pretty much been Larry Sanders, who had one good year and then is now being owed way too much money. You had John Henson, who couldn't beat out, let's see, Zaza, Pachulia, Larry, Larry Sanders, Son Maker, Tyler Zeller at one point. I'm pretty sure John Brockman probably beat out Henson for minutes. So, like, there's just a line of players. <laughs> and then you have Thon, who, you know, besides the playoffs, doesn't really play that well. Tyler Zeller was good in the small stretch. So, I mean, why not? I think Brooke Lopez, with his newfound shooting ability and his ability to just defensively handle a Joel Embiid or Rudy Gobert or an Andre Drummond. And I think he's going to rebound a lot better. Huh? Do you think, I don't know if he can handle them. I think he's just big. I think you can contain them. I mean, you, I just remember way too many times, like more so. Yeah. More so than who we had before. They could just shove those like Henson and Thon away. While I think with Lopez, he can at least stand his ground to, to some extent, like he's not going to be, you know, Ben Wallace in his prime defensive stopper, but I think he'll <laughs> at the very least not <laughs> the side. And next thing you know, they're allowing four offensive rebounds in a row. I actually got this really funny image of like Brooke Lopez being just an un- a beast on defense. <laughs> it would be the weirdest thing, <laughs> the weirdest career turn of all time. That would be so hilarious. Uh, okay. Well, who would you have? Who would you have? Because I feel, I feel like now we're, we're just going on and we're missing like half of these questions. So we may just have to do carry some of these over but who'd you have at number four riley okay so i had i think sterling was number my number four right oh, so right. okay my my list so far is Giannis. that's a consensus number one chris number two malcolm number three sterling four and then after that i don't know you make a compelling argument at uh for eric as like number five i think the uh, debate between eric and um lopez brooke is interesting insofar as they both allow the team to do like it, they both free up the scheme to do uh, significantly interesting things. So Eric, he's like used to being super heavy on ball and he allows Malcolm Brogdon to play the two where I think a lot of people, especially in close lineups, I think people prefer having Brogdon there, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas Brooke, he's, you know, this big center who can shoot threes and he's rebounding great and et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's an interesting philosophical discussion the one thing that uh, Eric has over for only signed a one-year deal, so I'm not sure if it's he has to he gets like a trade no or he has to waive a trade clause or something along those lines. So in terms of assets, uh, yes, they both have good on-court production, I assume, and value dollar for dollar will probably favor Brooke just because he's getting paid so little, but you can't flip him as easily as you could Eric potentially. Okay. Wait, so did you land on Eric Bledsoe five? Yeah, I'll go Eric five. Okay. All right. I'm glad I'm glad I got him into your top five. Um four. <laughs> I four. I mean I'll probably I think I'll go with Malcolm Brogdon, obviously. I think Kyle Kyle laid out a lot of the reasons that 
uh, I you I believe in Malcolm Brogdon being in the top five. Um, and then number five, uh, I don't know. Number five is tough. DJ Wilson. Just say it. I, I'm not, I'm not going to do DJ Wilson uh, <laughs> as uh, Shabazz Muhammad, obviously. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Shabazz, I mean, Shabazz was way better with us than he was in I, his absolutely abhorrent time in Minnesota last year. Like it was, it was almost, it was amazing how bad he was in Minnesota. Um, and he made a good turnaround out here. Um, I, dude, I don't know. I might go, I know these, some of these guys just make a lot of money, but I might go Tony Snell five. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I don't know. I think I think to I I believe in Tony Snell a lot. I think he has a lot of uh potential to be like an absolutely ideal fit to work around Giannis. I think he has some defensive potential he has yet to unlock. I think Bud is the absolutely perfect person that like Tony Snell could not have asked for a better coach to come in and work with him than Bud. I think he has a lot of room to grow. I think we, he, the team has him under control for the next few years. And while his contract certainly seems a little, it's definitely inflated right now, especially considering the uh, cap constraints that came upon a lot of teams these last couple of years. I think if they, if they're able to find a way to up his usage to like a, a use him in a way that like Miami was using Wayne Ellington last year, where this dude just was rifling off threes all the time. I think if, I think if Bud can stroke his ego and teach him how to rifle threes off a lot quicker. He's a three and D player who will be learning under a guy who is renowned for creating the three and D players that make a, a bunch of money and that other teams like. So I, I think Tony Snell is the, would go in above Brooke Lopez for me. I, I like Brooke Lopez. He's going to make very little money this next year. I think that was an absolutely great value signing, but I just don't know if he makes it into my top five valuable players for the bucks this next year going forward i like guess too the one guy in the team that you could have like a group of 100 people and 50 of the people would say he has a chance to be like a really big breakout star and the other 50 would say he's by far the least or the least valuable asset on the team so he's he's, he's an interesting and i think it'll be fascinating seeing how he like you said fits within bud system i too tend to think optimist optimistically that he'll have a good season but there's a lot of people who do not like tony snell at all so but then wouldn't the other 50 say, oh, didn't you forget about John Henson? Yeah, <laughs> that was, the, I was oh. looking through the list. That was going to be my other one. Yeah. Oh, well. okay. <laughs> or, or, I mean, who's, who, who do you think is less valuable right now? Delhi or Henson? Mm, Henson. Oh, I was going to say Henson. Are you saying Henson because we already have enough centers, Kyle? Oh, wait, did you ask who's least valuable between Delhi and Henson or yeah. more valuable? Less valuable. Oh, I'd still go with Delhi because, I mean, John Henson didn't play that badly last year. Like, that's the weird thing. It's like as much crap as we give him, he wasn't, he was okay. I mean, he still, especially when he got the ball at the high post, he seemed to pick spots where he can pass the ball. He's still, he's average rim protector, average at best rebounder. I think he did more to help the team than Delhi. So. Jeez, the venom in your voice for Delhi. How dare you, sir? <laughs> <laughs> oh my no, god. I, I would uh I would argue the opposite and say that John is probably and it pains me to say it because John's obviously a super cool guy and he's the he's the official Mr. Buck for the upcoming season. Um, but he's probably for the amount that he's getting paid, and yes, he's a competent center, but like if he's not starting, then you have questions as to whether or not he'll contribute and he'll be like good for two games a year where he'll get in the face of Matt Barnes, but otherwise there's not much noticeable about him. Um, yeah, I don't know. I would, I would argue John is probably the least valuable. Um, and I, I'm not a Delhi fan by any means, but it's Eric and him. And then who else at point guard? So in terms of just depth as well, Delhi has to have a little more value. Okay, cool. Well, we've, we've spent enough time on that question. This is running Long. So we're just going to do one last one last novelty question. Sorry if we couldn't get to your question today. We'll probably just do another mailbag in like a, a week or a week or two because we delayed doing another podcast for so long. Uh, so, all right, let's do last question here. Schedule question. This is from Brandon Heady. When should at Benjamin 1982 and I traveled to Milwaukee 
from Kansas City to catch a game or two. Now, I think there's a couple factors that go into this um, for me, and I'll let you guys make your I'll let you guys make your decisions. But I think the factors that I was considering, at least, were one: we don't know what the promotional schedule is yet, so I don't think we can give. For me, that factors heavily into when I would want to go to a game. So I don't think we can give. I can give Brandon my absolute. Uh, most well-informed opinion about what game to go to. Does that work? You guys agree? I'd say besides, yeah, besides the first game of the year, mm-hmm. it's really hard to say this is a marquee like reason to go. Yeah, I think the first game is going to be one thing, but after that, yeah, it depends on the promotional schedule. Okay. So I do have some ideas, but that's that's just me. Okay. So I'll go, I'll go this, I'll go my prediction or my, my, my personal suggestion. So i I factored in because he's coming from Kansas city. He, I figured he'd be coming, you'd be coming in on a weekend is, is likely when you'd be coming in. So I was trying to get you the most bang for your buck. So I was looking for back-to-backs at homes or Friday, Sunday games that might give you a good opportunity to see some good basketball. And the one that I settled on was January 4th and 5th, uh, back-to-back Friday, Saturday versus the Hawks. And then the Raptors One, Hawks should be a pretty poor game, but you'll get to see Trey young. Also the first game that the bucks play against Atlanta, Bud's old team. So there'll be a little bit of a, uh, you know, a little bit of a rivalry there and the Raptors sort of new look Raptors with Kawhi Leonard. I, I feel like that's an intriguing draw. So that was the one that I settled on. I feel like that would be a good one that you could come in. You could see two games and have a, have a pretty sweet weekend. I'm kind of going through the schedule now. I had full full disclosure, I didn't really look up this uh, beforehand, so I'm really just scrolling through Bucks.com. Uh, you can go there, check out the schedule, a little plug for the Bucks, what it was. I would say things that I'm looking for as another out-of-stater um, is generally I kind of look around what's going on for like near holidays because generally that's when I'm back in Wisconsin. This is assuming that the guy who asked the question is from southeast Wisconsin, so hopefully you're in the area, but... The, they do play the Knicks and the Nets, uh, December 27th, December 29th. Those will be kind of crappy games. Looking through the one game that I personally would like to go to um, would be March 19th. That's at home, and that's against the Lakers. That's the only time the Lakers visit. Uh, for me, that's because I've never been able to see LeBron play in person, and uh, I'm sure it's quite an experience. So I would vote for that. Uh, you get the Lakers. It would probably be a competitive game. It'll be like Giannis versus LeBron because everybody else will be of varying quality on their rosters, et cetera, et cetera. So I would vote the March, March 19th game. Uh, it's a Tuesday though. So sorry about that. Take a long weekend. <laughs> yeah, I guess I kind of went with that same approach in the holidays, but I looked at new year's day, which is a Tuesday, but that's going to be against the Detroit Pistons. So if you're not too hungover, then that would be a very viable option. Otherwise, if you're trying to save money because the opponents are not that good, I would say there is the 16th of November, which is a Friday, and that might be a little bit pricier, but that's against the Chicago Bulls, um, Jabari Parker's return. Otherwise, the Sacramento Kings play, I think, Sunday the 4th. So the nice thing about that is that's at 2.30, so you can probably drive off. You can drive up like Saturday, get a hotel, go to the game Sunday, and probably drive home and still get home at a decent time. It'll be late, but you could still make a game. Um, so those would be my recommendations just because cost and also it's on a day that you're most likely not, hopefully not working. So The, the only other thing I would say, uh, since you're in Kansas, um, I have no idea what the cl- closest like other NBA city is, but it is a lot of fun being in the away crowd and being the super obnoxious Bucks fans uh, among just crowds of you know whatever the home team is. I have a lot of experience with that up here in Minnesota. So uh, whatever the nearest NBA team as well, if you can make it out there, if it makes more sense, uh, it's a lot of fun being the away fan. I was going to say yeah. Minneapolis is like six hours, which is still two hours shorter than it is to Milwaukee. So maybe that's an option. Otherwise, probably Chicago. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll also... Yeah, I'll echo Riley's thing. It's fun to be the um, guy in the opposing stadium. I go to all the Bucks when the Bucks show up in Philadelphia. I go to all those games. Last year, I was walking around in a jersey, and um, two fans came by and made fart noises. So it's a it's a really cool <laughs> experience to, to 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 be in those stadiums. Let me tell you what. Um, so hopefully that gives you some good ideas, Brandon. 
Um, all right. Well, I don't know. I feel like uh, we've gone on pretty long here. Thanks everyone for all the questions you submitted. Um, we'll get to them again. We'll do another podcast soon. I'm sure. Uh, thanks as always for listening. We, we always really, really appreciate it. Make sure to uh, review us and sub- subscribe on iTunes. We're on there and uh, make sure to go to brewhoop.com for all of our hot content. We'll be picking up season previews relatively soon. And uh, guys, you can plug your Twitter accounts now. I am at Riley Feldman, and this time I'll spell it out for you folks. It's R-I-L-E-Y-F-E-L-D-M-A-N-N, two N's on the end there. And I am at Kyle Coche, so just think carb in Spanish. <laughs> That's <laughs> no, all right. Everyone, everyone's gonna know it now. Um, okay, <laughs> so <laughs> we'll uh, we'll sign that off, Kyle. We hope you have a lovely wedding this weekend. I'm sure all the Brew Hoop fans will be will be rooting for you, and uh, we'll we'll talk to everyone again soon. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>